Psalm 102. I'd like to begin a little series here through this psalm to try to give us some understanding of this psalm. A couple of months ago, as I was reading through and praying through the psalms, I came across this psalm and it just kind of stuck in my spirit for a couple of reasons. I found it unusual and I found it perplexing. And usually when I find something perplexing in the Scripture, it motivates me to try to come back and see if the Lord will give some type of understanding to that perplexity. And I have a little sheet that I have down called Sermon Preparation. And so at the bottom of that sheet, I list things that come to mind as we go through, you know, we're presently having a series on Sunday morning. We got one going on in Sunday afternoon, and we have just completed one on Wednesday. But I'll I'll put things down that I think, well, maybe maybe that might be the next direction that we ought to go with our series. And so it's been as much as seven or eight, and then I might look at them, you know, a month later. I look at the sheet every week, but I might look at it a month later, and I might delete one. I might add some. I might put one up in number one, shift something down to number two. And Psalm 102 had been sitting there. And in fact, I had deleted it off my sheet. And... um, this past week, as I was asking the Lord where He would have us to go, uh, Psalm 102 came back to mind. And so, kind of lifted it up, I read through the psalm, and it kind of gripped my soul, and I said, yes, this, this, this is probably the direction that the Lord uh, would have for us. So I want to really introduce this psalm to us, <clears throat> and I want to introduce it with this question by asking ourselves, what do we know about the speaker of this psalm? And so let's read the psalm, Psalm 102. Notice the inscription, A prayer of the afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. It's the inscription that I'm actually going to look at this afternoon, but let's read the psalm proper. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let, not my, and let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me in the day when I call, answer me quickly. For my days have been consumed in smoke, and my bones have been scorched like a hearth. My heart has been smitten like grass and has withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread. Because of the loudness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I resemble a pelican of the wilderness. I have become like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I have become like a lonely bird on a housetop. My enemies have reproached me all day long. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse. For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Because of your indignation and your wrath, 
For you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a lengthened shadow, and I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, abide forever, and your name to all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to be gracious to her. For the appointed time has come. Surely your servants find pleasure in her stones and feel pity for her dust. So the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord has built up Zion. He has appeared in His glory. He has regarded the prayer of the destitute and has not despised their prayer. This will be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. For He looked down from His holy height. From heaven the Lord gazed upon the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to set free those who were doomed to death. That men may tell of the name of the Lord in Zion and His praise in Jerusalem. When the peoples are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. He has weakened my strength in the way. He has shortened my days. I say, O my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. Of old you have founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be changed, but you are the same. And your years will not come to an end. The children of your servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before you. Do you find this psalm a little unusual? Who is the person speaking? What do we know about this person? Well, the inscription does help, doesn't it? It says, A prayer of the afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Now what we notice about this inscription is it's missing the human author. If you look back in Psalm 101, you'll see who is the author of that psalm. It's a psalm of who? It's a psalm of David. If you look at Psalm 103, you have a psalm of who? You have a psalm of David. Some people conjecture that because it's sandwiched between those two psalms that probably David is the author of this. But from a scriptural perspective, when we look at who the human author is, we just don't what? We just don't know. But we do know some characteristics of the author. And if you look at the inscription, you'll see that he identifies himself as the what? The afflicted. Everybody see that? He is the afflicted. What else does he describe about himself in that inscription? He says, this is a prayer of the afflicted. At what point in his affliction? When he is faint. 
What else do we know about him? Well, he's praying this at the point in which he is faint, but he is also praying it at the time where he pours out his complaint before the Lord. Now, when we read the word complaint, I think immediately we think that the psalmist is critical, right? That's what we think about complaining. If a person's complaining, they're grumbly, you know, they're fussing about the circumstances. But as we read through here, he's really not grumbling about his circumstances, but he is recognizing the circumstances, isn't he? He recognizes that he's afflicted. He recognizes that he is faint. He recognizes that he is pouring this out. And if you look at verses 1 through 11, which is really the first major section here in this psalm, you'll find out what type of weak and afflicted person he is. We'll read things like this. Look at verse 1. My cry for help. Does he need help? He does need help. Verse 2. He is in a day of distress. Has the Lord answered him as of this? No. And he's asking for the Lord not to delay in the answer, but to answer quickly. What does he say about his days in verse 3? His days have been consumed in smoke. And if you look down in verse 23, you'll see that the Lord Himself has not only weakened His strength, but He has also shortened His days. What is the psalmist concerned about? Well, he's concerned that he's going to, he's going to die. And you'll see this again in verse 11 when it says, My days are like a lengthened shadow, and I wither away like grass. And of course you know that when the Bible talks about mankind being like grass, when does grass wither? Not at the beginning of its days, right? It withers at the, at the end of its life. And then what does he mean when he says, my days are like a lengthened shadow? When do you see your shadow the longest? When the day's almost done, when the sun's almost set. When the sun is above you, you don't have a shadow, right? But as the sun moves, if you're still in that same location, you begin to have a shadow, and as the sun's going down, the shadow, it lengthens. Everybody see that? So he's, he's concerned about this. He also says in verse 4 that his inner man, his heart, has been smitten also like grass and has withered away, and his affliction is to the place, verse 4, that he even forgets to even forgets to eat. Now you know that the affliction, or we would say today the stress, the affliction is great when a person says, I don't want to, I don't want to eat. That's when you know that the sorrow and the grief is really being overly oppressive in that person's life. And this had gone on for such a while that he says in verse 5, he says, my bones cling to my flesh. Now what does that indicate? Do I? 
Yeah, it indicates weakness, but it also indicates that he, he's not, uh, I'm going to use the word fleshy. He's not fleshy. He's not like we would say healthy, right? He, he is famished. His body is famished. <coughs> and we don't know what that body looks like, but he does compare it to being in the wilderness or being in a desert place where there's no food and there's no drink. In verse 7, he is sleepless. Why do you think he's sleepless? Well, he could be sleepless because he's hungry, but here it indicates that he's sleepless because of the afflictions that have come into his life. And folks, you and I know, as fallen human beings, when we get oppressive things become very weighty on our minds, we would say this, it robs us of our what? Of our sleep. And any of us that have been on this earth for any length of pilgrimage has had times where our sleep has fled away from us and all we have left is prayer before the Lord. And that's exactly what is happening here. Externally, verse 8, his enemies have reproached him and it is continual. It is without ceasing. They use his name as a curse. And then when he says, I've eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping, this is a person in deep grief, are they not? They are a person in deep sorrow. And so here we have his weakening of his strength, his shortening of his days, And I worded it this way, what we know about the human author of this psalm is that although he's not identified, he is evidently very near to the end of his endurance of days. His days have been shortened, and he's at the end of that, and he's acknowledging that before the Lord, that he feels like that his Days are like a lengthened shadow. The sun is about to set on his life. One commentator, Kinder, who has a a little book of just little nuggets about Psalms here, he identifies these things in verses 1 through 11. These are the terms that he uses. He says, He is feverish, He is frail, He is wasting away. He is in pain, sleeplessness. He feels rejection. He's in despair. And he uses this word, he is melancholy. That's an old-fashioned English word that we wouldn't use that word today. We wouldn't say, well, the person's in melancholy, even if that really was the case. What word would we use? We'd say he's depressed, right? May not be what we call clinical depression, but he's depressed. He's in melancholy before the Lord. Would you say that the human author is definitely a man that is experiencing sorrow? Would you say that this is a man who is really weighted down with the grief and the burdens of life? This is what we know about this author. 
human author. And folks, as we approach this, <clears throat> my wife asked me at lunch today, she said, what are we going to do? And I said, well, we're going to start a little series on <clears throat> Psalm 102. And so she got her phone out, she looked it up, and I don't know how far, how far did you get down reading? Uh, I skimmed the whole thing. Okay, and she said, this, this, this psalm is depressing. <laughs> it is depressing. In fact, when I read it and I thought, I, to pray something like this, I suppose if I took a raise of hand and said, how many of you would like to enter into this? I don't think I'd get a hand raised. It really is, <clears throat> this man is really down, if you want to use the word, in the pit. What else is unusual about this psalm other than there is no designated human author? We could say that the human author of this psalm is the afflicted one. That's what it says in the inscription, right? A prayer of the afflicted. But there's another thing unusual, and this is really the thing that really captivated my mind, is uh, verse 18 of this psalm. What does the human author say about these 28 verses of this psalm? He says that I've written this down. He wrote it down, amen? Inspiration. But this is written for him For a generation to come. Everybody see that? That's highly unusual. I mean, we know that the Scripture is like God. The Scripture is eternal. Your Word, O Lord, is eternal in the heavens. It bears His characteristics. But to say that in a psalm, that this psalm whatever this afflicted person is experiencing, I'm writing this down not for my generation, but for a future generation. And it is a future generation of a what kind of people? A created people. Everybody see that? Now you would think, well, of course, right? I mean, if you're going to exist on the earth, you have been, you've been created. But he specifically says, <clears throat> this is for a future generation, for a people who will be created. And why are they created? Praise to praise the Lord. This psalm is for that future generations, that created people, so that... When they read this psalm, they will what? They will praise the Lord. But I thought, Pastor, you said this was depressive. Did I say that? Just checking. Well, folks, if you you say it's depressive, I doubt if you're going to say, praise the Lord! Right? So, I, I'm sitting there reading this and I'm saying, I, I don't think I really have an understanding 
of what the Lord's trying to communicate here. Because my heart isn't being moved to praise the Lord. My heart is kind of getting weighted down. Everybody, everybody see that? Okay. So really, as you, as you think of those two things, <clears throat> you really need to approach the psalm fearfully. Fearfully. And I'm going to explain why. There is a key to understanding this psalm that once you see the key, it's like a flower that blossoms full. And folks, when a flower blossoms full, that's an occasion to praise the Lord. There's a key here. Did you recognize the key when we went through it? I remember reading it, <clears throat> praying through it. I remember exactly seeing that key. What is the key? We ask the question, who is the human author? We know something about that human author. Not his name, but we know his characteristics. He is the afflicted one. But the key in here is that this psalm is quoted in our New Testament. And that's the key to this psalm. And I want us to turn to that passage. I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews. The very first chapter. In the book of Hebrews... <clears throat> Chapter 1, and don't lose your place in Psalm in Psalm 102. We're going to come back to that. This psalm is quoted in verses 10 through 12 of this first chapter. Let me read it. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they all will become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Did we read that in Psalm 102? Okay, so hold your place in Hebrews. Let's go back to Psalm 102. And let's begin reading at the end of this psalm, verse 25. <clears throat> of you, of old, you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the what? You are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Everybody see that? All right, now let's go back to Hebrews. Because Hebrews is going to give to us the key. In the first several verses of Hebrews chapter 1, 
the preacher who is giving this word of exhortation that he has written down, he's in prison, he writes down this sermon, as it were, and he sends it back. And he begins by saying, look at verse 1, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days have spoken to us in who? Everybody see that? His Son. Who is this Son? Whom He, that is God, appointed heir of all things. Through the Son also He made the world. The Son is the radiance of His glory. The Son is the exact representation of His nature. The Son upholds all things by the word of His power. It was the Son that made purification of sins. It is the Son who sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And it is the Son that is much better than who? Okay, is everybody, everybody following that? It's very important we follow that. Now evidently, among these believing Jews and those who were in danger of returning back to Judaism, they had a high respect for angels because the law of Moses was mediated through angelic beings. That makes them very high, right? But what the writer begins off saying is that the Son is exceedingly greater and higher than any created angel. So he's going to prove that. Verse 5. For to which of the angels did he ever say? Did, did God ever say this to any angel? You are my son, today I have begotten you. Yes or no? No. no. Who, did he, who did God say that to? Christ. To the Son. Right? It's not going to be to chapter 2 that you're going to find out His name. His name is Jesus. But here is the Son. Now look again. Which of the angels did He ever say? I will be a father to Him and He shall be a son to Me. Did He say that to any angel? No. No. He said that to the Son. In other words, is there a relationship between God and His Son? There is. Okay. Look at verse 6. When He again brings the firstborn into the world, He says, God says, let all the angels of God worship Him. Who did He say that to? He said it to the angels so that they would worship the Son. Everybody see that? Okay, verse 7. But if you want to know what God says about angels, He says this, He makes His angels' winds and His ministers a flame of fire. Okay. Now look at verse 8. What does God say to the Son directly? Verse 8. Your throne, O God. Everybody see that? All right. Who's speaking that? God is. Who's He speaking it to? The Son. And He calls the Son God. Everybody see that? Okay. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. 
And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. The Son has loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, the Son's God, your God, has anointed you with an oil of gladness above your companions. Everybody see the context there? All right. Now what's the first word of verse 10? And. And. All right. Verses 10 through 12. Here's the key. Is God speaking to who? The Son. Everybody see that? Okay, so let's read it. Verse 10, And you, Lord, and that's capitalized, Yahweh calls Him Yahweh, right? He calls Him the Lord. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. The heavens and the earth will perish, but you, who's the you? The Son remain. And the heavens and earth all will become old like a garment and like a mantle. You, who's the you? The sun will roll them up like a garment. The heavens and earth will also be changed. But you, who's the you? The sun are the same and the sun's years will not come to a... Everybody see that? Do you believe that? All right. So let's go back to Psalm 102. That that is quoted in the book of Hebrews beginning in verse 25. All right. So at verse 25 of this psalm, Who's doing the speaking? God. Who is He speaking to? The Son. Everybody see that key? Okay, now let's read it. And I'm going to substitute, every time I see you, I'm going to substitute it. Ready? Of old, the Son founded the earth. And the heavens are the work of the Son's hands. This is God telling this to us. Even the heavens and the earth will perish, but the Son will endure. And all of the heavens and the earth will wear out like a garment, like clothing. The Son will change the heavens and the earth, and the heavens and the earth will be changed. But the sun are the same, and the sun's years will not come to a end. I'm just going to finish this out, verse 28. The children of the sun's servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before the sun. Everybody follow that? Alright, so I'm going to ask you. Who is the I in this psalm? Yeah. 
Rachel's scared to say it out loud. It is the Son. Look, you have in verse the first 11 verses, you have the complaint, as it were, of the afflicted one. Do you agree with me about that? Okay. When you look down at verses 12 through 17, he's, he's coming, the Son, and I'm going to add a little word here, incarnate. The Son incarnate. He is a man, isn't He? He's contrasting His days as a, as a human to the eternality of God. Verse 12. You, O Lord, abide forever. You, verse 13, will arise and have compassion. Why? It is time. Everybody see that? It is time to be what? To be gracious. For the appointed time has come. Everybody see that? And remember, this psalm is written for a future generation. A generation of people that will be created. And he says in verse 16 that the Lord will build up Zion. He says in verse 15 that whatever the impact of this appointed time will be is that the Gentile nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth, the glory of God. He states that whoever these people are, verse 18, it is a created people. It happened, verse 19, when the Lord looked down from His holy height. He looked down upon the earth and what did He hear? He heard groaning. He heard prisoners. He heard people doomed to death. And folks, when you hear that, it ought to remind you of the children of Israel in Egypt. God heard their their groaning. He's hearing the groaning of the earth. And he's going to do something at the appointed time. The Son incarnate is praying this. He is the afflicted one. And folks, he goes on and says that these people who are doomed to death and these people are under groaning, the Lord looks at that, and those people are going to be created Verse 21, so that they will tell of the name of the Lord in Zion and His praise in Jerusalem. And when is this going to happen? Verse 22, when the peoples are what? Gathered together and the kingdoms to do what? To serve the Lord. Everybody see that? Now the afflicted one that I'm arguing is the Son incarnate says, verse 23. God has weakened my strength in the way. He has shortened my days. The Son incarnate says in prayer, O my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. And then verse 25, God responds to the Son of old You, do you see that? You have founded the earth. 
the heavens are the work of your hands. It's the one praying this. This is the Son of God incarnate addressing His Father. Now folks, this shouldn't surprise us because Isaiah 53 says that He was a man of sorrows knowing grief. Is that not what it says? And folks, the type of grief and the type of sorrows that he has are illustrated in Psalm 102. That's why I said you've got to approach this psalm like it's holy ground. This is as much holy ground as Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at the end of Psalm 22, he says, there's going to come a generation who will declare it is finished. Guess what generation that is? That's us. Are you a created people? Have you been born from above? Yes or no? We are the created people. And this is God the Father comforting, consoling God the Son incarnate in human flesh as He is under the weight and the oppression of this world. He is a man who has many needs. A need gifted is a call to pray. That's what He's doing. Remember when He was on the cross, they could tell every one of His bones. Right? The disciples were concerned about their sleep and they were concerned about their food. And Jesus said, I'm not going to partake of this anymore. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wasn't interested in sleep. He was, his sleep was taken away from him. Lord, is there any other way? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We're entering into the sorrows of the man of sorrows. And folks, doesn't it make sense then that when you read this psalm with little or no understanding, you say, this is depressive. It was that way. You are, feel, you are reading the weight of the soul of Jesus Christ. But is it not also true that when you have a little understanding of this, that this is the Son incarnate, and this is the Father comforting the Son, He will not die, He will live forever, and His servants will be established before Him forever and ever, and we are His servants. Don't you walk away from here saying, praise the Lamb forever. That's the praise of this song. Let's bow our heads as we...